You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. James chapter 1, if you'll look there and then we'll go back over to Joshua here in just a moment. Hopefully you're there. Look with me in, um, we'll start in verse 12. Let's read a couple of, three verses here. In verse 12 it says of chapter 1 of the book of James, Let no man say when he is tempted that I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. In other words, it's, it's not God's doing. Uh, and enticed. So you're, you have this enticement. Verse 15, then when lust hath conceived, now it's fully at work in your heart. It bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now flip back over to Joshua. I think it's everybody's desire in here, I would think it would be, in the heart of every Christian, that you have a desire to want to try to live for God, that it would be your desire, if possible, that you could live your day in such a way that it would be pleasing to God, that I don't, you know, uh, fall into some kind of a sin that uh, would cause me to feel like I have disgraced God or shamed his name or the house of God, you know, the, the body of believers here. It's, it's, it's my sincere desire to not fall, um, step into, choose to sin. But we do that. And I think we do it more often than we're willing to admit. I, I think that if everybody could, you know, share your sincerest desire is that when you pillow your head tonight and it's just you and God, that you'd be able to feel like I've got a good, clear conscience tonight between me and the Lord. And I feel like I've done the best I can, and if I faltered, if I failed immediately, I tried to get it right with God. I, I want to keep short sin accounts. I don't want to let something linger throughout the day or for all week long or maybe till I come to church and then maybe get my heart right or whatever. When God convicts you and you know you've committed a sin, it ought to be the desire of every Christian to want to immediately get it right. Don't let something be harbored in your heart and something be carried around to the point that it can literally destroy your life. I've told you this story years ago and I'll tell it to you again tonight. It's so fitting for what I am uh, preaching about here tonight. Years ago, one of my one of my best friends I grew up with, Rick Click, as a matter of fact, was his name. You've heard me use Rick's name every now and then. Rick Click. No, he didn't have a brother named Bick, but um, <laughs> you don't even remember the Bick Clicks now, do you? Those old commercials and so forth. But um, Rick told the story. He preached a message one time, and I, and I heard the, the story that he gave. He was uh, part of the church where this happened. And he said that 
One Sunday after church was over, all the kids were running back out to the buses, and the buses were all lined up out in front of the church. And one of the teenage boys that were riding the buses at that time, the driver and the young man were were good friends, and they would tease each other a lot. And he, the driver, tried to keep this young man faithful to church. And like I said, they would tease every now and then. And so as the young man was running back out to uh, the bus, um, what happened was the uh, bus driver, just joking around, popped the clutch a little bit and moved the bus ahead just a little bit. And when the teenager tried to jump on the bus, he jumped and ran into the bus itself instead of getting into the door, fell to the ground, got up, got on the bus. Bus driver and him teased a little bit and they went on their way. At home that night, this young man began to have some problems and they his mom and dad asked him what was wrong. He said, I don't know. He said, I don't feel good and things aren't, things aren't good. Something's wrong with me. And he started getting sick and uh, throwing up violently and so forth. And they knew something wasn't right. They said, you know, we've got to get you to the hospital. And they took him to the hospital and they, they began to look and to search and to try to find out what was wrong. When they took his shirt off, there were tire tracks across his chest. And what nobody but that young man knew was that when he went to jump on the bus, he tried to stop himself uh, when he saw the bus moving and his feet slid, went under the bus, and the bus ran over that young man's abdomen. So they ran all the tests they could run. They did the x-rays and everything they could do, and um, they could find nothing. They could see nothing wrong. And so he'd get out of the hospital and he'd have a good day or two, and then he'd get sick again. They'd run back in the hospital and he would get to the point of death, and they would get him, come back around, put him on antibiotics, trying to figure out what in the world is wrong with him. And this goes on for like the better part of a year, if I'm not mistaken. So finally they took him to a special, a special clinic, and they ran the test at this clinic to try to find out what, uh, what could possibly be wrong with this young man. The, his organ seems to be fine, and we can't find anything uh, wrong with uh, bleeding in his body or anything. And finally, through a very specified test, they were able to find a really tiny pinhole in uh, his intestines. And what was happening over that year was that little pinhole was allowing uh, toxins, obviously, from his intestines to leak into his system, and he was living septic. If you understand that word, your body's just sick all the time, to the point of death. And it was that one little little tiny honestly they said it was just a pinhole took hardly nothing to get it fixed and once it was fixed the young man got out and and was good i mean is doing uh, from everything i hear doing tremendous yet today and i remember how rick used that it was really powerful the way he used that you know him having been there at that church and uh, seeing it firsthand really spoke with a lot of conviction about that but the, the way he used that was this When you allow the tiniest of things to go wrong in your life and you just let it go and you think it's okay, there's nothing wrong with my life the way it is, please leave me alone. Or I hope nobody finds out. I'll do my best to make myself look as much like a Christian as I can. Hope my mom and dad, hope my wife, hope my husband doesn't catch on to this about my life. But it's okay, and after all, it's such a little thing in my life. It can't, surely it can't cause that much problem, can it? 
Well, according to the book of James, when it's finished, it can, if you allow it to keep going, it can bring you to the point of death. That's where sin can potentially lead you. In our story tonight, we won't read the whole chapter. We will read the first 15 verses as uh, this wasn't a pinhole. This was a gaping wound in the heart of a man that cost him, his family, and everything that he owned their life. If you'll look with me in Joshua 7, let's start in verse 1 if you will. But the children of Israel, remember they've crossed over Jordan, Jericho's walls have come down, okay? But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. Well, what was that? We'll touch on that. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, God gets, hey, by the way, God gets very specific with you. I mean, God listed that long list of names to make it very clear who this was. I want you to know God knows exactly who you are tonight. You're not uh, some um, person in the background that God just kind of just shoved out of his heart. You know, you're, you're no big deal. God knows your address and God knows who you are. He names all the, you know, the qualifications and the specifications of who this young man was of the tribe of Judah. Go back down there into verse 1 with me. He took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Oh, let not all the people go up, but let about oh, two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, therefore they are but a few. We, we can handle these guys. We saw what God did to Jericho. This is going to be nothing. Verse 4. So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai, guys listen to this, smote of them about 30 and 6 men. Do you understand? They, 36 men died that day. For they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads, a sign of grief and sorrow. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God. Now listen to what Joshua says to God. Wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? He's still praying to God. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? Now listen to what God says in verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Now, you hear what he just said? Get up. What are you doing laying on the ground praying like this? And whether you get it or not, that's what he was saying. And God just straightens it out real fast. He's going to bring this into perspective real quick. Verse 11, Israel hath 
sinned. That's, that's the big one. There's the, there's the gaping hole. There's, if you want to call it a pinhole, if you want to call it a gaping hole in, uh, in the body of that uh, nation, Israel sinned. They've also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Up! Sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to his, the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man, and it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. Let me pray with you again, and then I'm going to share these thoughts. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be here tonight and to be in the Word of God. Heavenly Father, with that um, microscope that looks deep into the heart of every man tonight, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us tonight. May we be so honest as to allow God to expose every area of our lives and to let God see even the pinholes in our life that we try to hide and cover up. And may God please uh, help us to be right with you tonight in every way. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this message tonight, this passage of Scripture does not take a theologian to be able to understand it. Honestly, I really believe any fifth grader could read this passage and could come away and say, well, I know why that happened, and I know what went on there. It was easy to understand. That guy did what he wasn't supposed to do, and look what it cost him. And that's what will be next uh, Sunday night's message will be about, you know, the payment and the penalty of all that. Horrible. And so it's, it's not a, uh, in, the, in the sense of it being deep, profound things that I've never heard before. This is not going to be one of those passages, nor is it going to be one of those messages. But I can guarantee you this, if you don't take it seriously tonight, and if you think you can play around with the Word of God, God of the Word will come to you and show you. God does not mess around and God does not play around with a person who wants to serve Him and claims the name of Jesus Christ and allow that life to go on and live in such a way that there are things working in their life. It might be a little pinhole, it may be something tiny and small, or it might be a gaping wound, and you know that, and it's spilling excess into your body, into your life, and your life is septic, and you're not living for God, and you know that, you know you're putting on a show tonight, you know you're doing everything you can to make everybody think everything's just fine in your life, but God knows, and God will not let sin go on by. So number one, what you need to remember and understand is that God gave their parameters. You know what a parameter is, guys? Here's, here's your boundaries. You, you can go this far. I, I was on visitation one day, 
And I looked up and I, there's three things in the world that are not going to be in heaven. Spiders. And all God's people said, amen. Horses. They're saved in heaven. I saved horses. And third thing is big dogs. If there's anything up there, they're saved chihuahuas or Yorkies that get saved. Yorkies are demon-possessed. If you ever have a Yorkie, you know what I'm talking about. They just are. I'm telling you that for a reason. Because as I was walking down the sidewalk, I looked up and here comes big dog. I don't like big dogs. I don't like them when they show me their teeth. Uh, I'm not a dentist. I don't want to see what your teeth look like. Close your mouth. And here comes that, that dog is charging at me. I'm like, here I come, God. This is my night. I'm dead. And that dog comes running up and just and the, uh, uh, stopped. I mean, there's about five feet of grass between me and him. And I'm like, miracles still happen. Thank you, God, for stopping that dog's mouth like the lion in the den. And then I, I got to looking, and there's the, that invisible fence sign that's up around that yard that if they step over too far, they, what happens? Do they, they get shocked, or uh, is it a shocker thing that happens? Those are wonderful things. And whoever invented that is a saved man and loves <laughs> churches. <laughs> and I'm like, that dog knows his parameters. That's a great dog. Man, I, all of a sudden I like the dog. He was actually a pretty nice dog as I walked on by, and he kept his distance between me. That dog knew his parameters. I want to tell you something that Israel, please listen to this, they knew the parameters very well. There was no mistake. For instance, go back into chapter 6 and look in verse 17, chapter 6, one chapter back, and look in verse 17. Notice how God said it, and the city shall be accursed. Hear this now, the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that we sent and ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing lest ye make yourselves accursed uh, when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it here's what it was here's what was accursed you touch this uh, it's the pinhole or the gaping wound in your gut Verse 19, but all the silver and the gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Let me, if I can use the example, the food that we eat that passes right on through the body and our intestines are intended to be good for the body. It's intended to help build strong bodies 12 ways. Does anybody remember that old, old commercial? Boy, we're reaching, reaching way back there, aren't we? And, and there's, you know, that food is good as it passes on through the intestines. But if that food passes outside of the intestine and goes where it's not supposed to go and gets into the system where it cannot handle that, it becomes a curse to the body. It, it'll bring death. And God is saying to them, guys, when you get into Jericho, you remember the boundaries were clear. If, uh, if you touch the gold and the silver and, and keep it for yourself, uh, it's going to become an accursed thing to you. I want it to go into the treasury of the house of God. This is the first fruits of you coming into um, you know, the promised land. And the first fruits always belong to God. After this battle, all the spoils can be yours. But this first fruits belongs to God. And do not touch that. Is that hard to understand? That's very simple, isn't it? The, the, again, not rocket science here tonight. Like we used to say all the time, what part of don't touch 
did you not understand? You walk by the paint on the wall with a sign there, do not touch, wet paint. And there'll be five fingerprints all along that wall. Why? Because it's something in the human nature you've got to see. Is it, is it really still wet? Oh, still wet, yeah. Well, what part of that did you not understand? Well, I got it first time you said it. It was, it was clear to you, that's right. And, and Israel, you understood, right, that you're not supposed to touch the silver and gold and the brass and the, and the goodly Babylonish garments. You don't, you don't take those into your possession. Do you understand that? And all of Israel is like, we get that. We don't want to be accursed. We want the same blessings uh, on us that uh, you promised all the way across the wilderness, God. And they got it. Let me read to you um, uh, John Kenneth Galbraith. If anybody knows that name, uh, you get big bonus points tonight. Uh, he was an economist and he was an advisor to several of our U.S. presidents. But he wrote an autobiography, and please listen to what he said here um, in, in his autobiography concerning his family's housekeeper, this lady that helped keep up the house. So he said it had been a wearying day, and I'd asked Emily, the housekeeper, to hold all telephone calls while I had a nap. Shortly thereafter, the phone rang, and President Lyndon B. Johnson was calling from the White House. Get me Ken Galbraith. This is Lyndon Johnson. Uh, he's sleeping, Mr. President, and he said not to disturb him. Well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. Uh, no, Mr. President, I work for him, not for you. When I called the president back, he could scarcely control his pleasure. You tell that woman I want her here in the White House to work for me. Mm. Why? Somebody that disobeys the president like that, why would he want her in the White House? Because she knew how to obey her authority. You know, guys, please, please listen tonight. It's not hard to understand. There's just things in this life we're not supposed to touch and have a part in. Don't, don't we know that, guys? Aren't the parameters really pretty simple? Our sins are not because that... Uh, you know, one of God's commands was buried deep in the back of the book of Leviticus, and, and I, I got tired of reading Leviticus, and I, I just gave up on it. And I, because of that, I didn't know what the sin was, and now I'm in trouble because I didn't know. That's not our problem, guys. Our problem is not that we don't know what we're not supposed to do. It's all very plain. It's all very simple. It's really very, very, very clear. Israel wasn't going to be able to plead ignorance after their defeat. So number one, God clearly gave the parameters. And in this Christian life, I can promise you this. The things that you know you're not supposed to do are crystal clear. It's not a matter of, was I supposed to do that or not? You know. You know what sin is. You know what. Okay, there's my phone up here. I'm, I told Carlos, I said, you text me anytime and you let me know if any changes. So I've got my phone laying here. But do you know how a problem this is in a lot of people's lives? And when somebody opens up a site and looks at a place they ought not to be, nobody lays that phone down and says, I didn't realize that wasn't supposed to happen. Nobody goes uh, home saying, I didn't know we shouldn't have gossiped about them like that. Or on and on. Guys, you know what is right and wrong. Largely, this is not the issue. God gives very clear parameters for you and me. Number two, Israel's destruction did not come from without you say, well, Ai came down 
That little city came down and wiped out 36 of their men. No, guys, Ai did not kill those men. Destruction did not come from without. Destruction came from within. That's where the problem really was. Well, and and I, I hear, I've used them, you've said these things before, I hear lots of people say, well, if it wasn't for this thing out there and, and, and this thing that went on in my life, if it wasn't for how hard things really are in my life, if, if my boss had have just, and if this person that I work with, if this family member of mine would have just been better at whatever, I wouldn't be in the place I'm at tonight. Guys, stop and walk in front of a mirror and look at the person where the real problem honestly is problem is the person in the mirror not the person that's behind you who sits next to you it's not your family member the problem is you and until you're willing to stop and admit I have been wrong I'm the one that's been so lifted up in my pride to think that I could somehow get away with these things and I didn't want people coming and pointing fingers at me. I, I enjoyed my pleasure of sin for a season. And I didn't want people coming and, and, and exposing these parts of my life. That's why I kept pointing out it was everybody else's fault except mine. And if you'll stop and admit it, the problem is us. It, it's you tonight. The problem is not so much what happens on the outside. It's what happens in the heart here tonight. And if Christians would just be honest about it tonight, recognize and understand, the problem was not with the city of Ai being so much stronger and more wicked that they could come down and kill 36 of our men. The problem was Achan. The problem was a man right inside their own camp and their own territory. And most of your problems here tonight is what's down in the depths of your heart. And if you'd be willing and honest before God to admit I'm a proud person, and I've done everything I can to cover it up and make everybody else think it's anything else but me. And tonight, God, I'm just confessing to you, I'm the problem here tonight. Friend, until you're willing to do that, you're going to go on living this hypocritical life, never really attaining real joy of the Lord in your life, knowing what it's like to have sweet fellowship with God. Never be able to have that. long as you're willing to go on in self-deception, trying to cover up, making everybody else think it's something else and not me we've had nations and cities and churches families have been ruined because of something that was going on somebody inside one person was the cause of an entire nation going down one person can be the reason God allows destruction to happen to a whole family to a church do you understand that i mean one disloyal member of a family uh, who's living uh, this secret lie can cause god's anger to burn against you and the whole family to the point he cuts off his entire blessings to them i like how paul tried to get the corinthians to understand this chapter 12 and verse 26 first corinthians and whether one member suffer all the members suffer with it or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Do we understand tonight? Let me, let me have you listen carefully before I get this last thought on this point. Guys, we are one body. And we all work together. And to the degree that we work together, man, the blessings come down upon all of us. But the fact truly is tonight that if one person decides that I can 
I can bring sin into the house of God. There's no, no problem with that. It's not going to have an effect on anybody but me. You're sadly mistaken tonight. You have an effect on the entire body. Old J. Vernon McGee. Anybody ever heard him talk? J. Vernon McGee said, I, here's his quote. He said, I, and he pastored for 40 years, I saw more churches ruined by women and men who pretended to be so in love with church and God, but behind the scenes they were destroying the whole operation. He said, I was a pastor for 40 years and I could tell you story after story of the antics or the actions of the super duper saints, those really good people in church who are destroying the house of God, going out afterwards, talking, saying, doing, destroying the very house of God. One little tiny pinhole ruining the whole thing. Well, next you find out that God is angered at all of Israel because of one disobedient act of one disobedient man. I mean, God's angry at them all. Look in verse 7 again. Uh, I mean, chapter 7, verse 1. Verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. Listen to what it says. God wanted us to see this, guys. Don't miss it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. God wants us to know one person can bring the wrath of God down upon a whole congregation. <clears throat> Somehow, Achan was able to smother his conscience and his better judgment with thoughts of immediate pleasure. I get so much from doing this, though. I enjoy it so much. And it's it's not going to have an impact on everybody. It's going to be fine, just fine, as long as I can have my way. And then you get seared in your conscience and you don't care what happens to everybody else. Some daddy doesn't care what happens to the rest of his family, his wife and children, or some wife or some child in that household. Just doesn't care anymore what happens to the rest of the family because I'm getting my way and I'm getting my pleasure because of one man, one person. I mean, selfishly, he was wanting to, and we'll look at this next week, if you let me use these kinds of terms, he wanted to fatten his 401k, and he couldn't think of anybody but himself. You know what's sad about this, guys? Study him out. Look at the tribe and the family that he came from. Hey, hey, this guy came from a good family. This guy came from a family that told him what was right and wrong. If we could bring him into today, you could tell us, you could say, this is the guy that was in church all the time. This was a guy whose family brought him to the house of God and taught him the things of the Lord and showed him what was right and what was wrong. I mean, this guy was from a really good family. How does that happen? Somebody growing up right in church and yet allowing those kind of things to work in his life. And here this man from a good Christian family is living his life on his own terms. He doesn't need anyone else to tell him what to do. I'm happy with the way I'm living my life. Leave me alone. You know what's really sad, Mom and Dad? And I, you've heard me make this quote over the years. Um, if a child is allowed to continue doing things their own way in direct disobedience to their parents or their authorities, eventually they will apply that same disobedience to God and that's going to come at a very high price to that child. It's sad. 
private sin, guys? Hey, listen, there's no such thing as private sin. It's not really private. God's all-seeing eye sees everything. And you can be sure your sin will find you out. No child of God is going to be able to grow cold. Listen to this. No child of God can grow cold in a congregation without lowering the temperature of everybody else around him. You understand that? The testimony of our church is dependent upon every person in it. We are so connected to each other. We are one body and one act affects all of us. One bad attitude can ruin it all. You know what happened? Joshua failed in the simplest of the basics. Look in verse 2 and 3 now. Verse 2 again, And Joshua sent men uh, from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up, view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about, oh, two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. Make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. And that's what he decided to go with. Did you hear what I said? That's what he decided to go with. And you say, what's, so what's wrong with that? I mean, the guys went up and spied out the land. I mean, goodness, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Yeah, you're supposed to go out and spy out the land. You're supposed to have some kind of a working idea about how uh, your territory is and the enemy that's out there in front of you. Of course, you're supposed to know that. But just with that information, he says, guys, let's go get them. Take off. Joshua is convinced by his spies that only several thousand are going to be necessary to go up and take this little town of Ai. And what's sad, while God's anger is burning against Israel, Joshua didn't know a thing about it. How does that happen? You know what's really sad? We don't read one word about Joshua praying before sending. Please look up here and listen. Remember later on, Joshua's on his face. Oh, God, what are our enemies going to say now when they look and know that the the, the great God that we serve has has allowed this to happen? And and he goes on and on. He's crying in three and four verses. I'm not making light of his prayer. I've been there myself. But when God finally spoke in verse 10, what did God tell him? Hey, hey. Get up. He basically said, why are you laying there praying on your face like that? It's not time to pray. It's time to get sin out of your life. Now think about this for a minute. There's a lot of people who'd rather just stop and pray. Cry to God, oh God, I got this sin in my life. And you should be praying. You should get your heart right. I'm not making light of prayer or anything. You understand that. But you've known for a long, long time what the problem was. And God's basically saying to him, you don't need to pray to me. I told you a long time ago, don't touch the accursed thing. So he touched the accursed thing. You don't need to pray to me. I'm just telling you there's sin in Israel. There's a problem in the heart of your nation. And if you think I'm going to bless this nation anymore until that's taken care of, you're sadly mistaken. I'll wipe this nation off the face of the earth. Now go get the sin out of the camp. Joshua shakes himself. He jumps up. He stands up and says, what? There's sin in the camp? How could that be? Uh, Joshua, if you'd have got on your knees and prayed before you sent men out, you wouldn't have to be trying to pray after the the, uh, 36 men have died. If you'd have just cried out to God, Lord, 
the plan looks like this and I think we're good to go. Can you give me the green light to go? And God would have said, red light. Don't you dare go up and fight a battle with this kind of sin going on in your life. Somebody in camp has touched the accursed thing. And until you get rid of the accursed thing out of the camp, you're wiped out. You're hopeless. God could have told him that. God could have spared him the life of several men. 36 homes would not have had to have their wives weeping and sobbing at night, missing their husband or their son, who went up and died in a battle because a leader failed to pray and somebody thought it was okay to have their own way in their own life. I want to live my life for me. It's all about me. It's not going to have an effect on you. Listen to me. It does have an effect on everybody around you. It's the most selfish individual who chooses to go ahead into sin and think that it's going to be okay for me because I'm getting my way. God have mercy on that man or that woman or that teenager or whoever it might be that just decides I'm living my life my way while you destroy an entire family, church, or nation like it happened to Israel here. Sometimes, guys, it's not time to pray. Sometimes it's just time to get up and do what's right to do in your life and get it right. You know, it doesn't matter how successful you've been in the past, how many Jerichos you've taken down. It doesn't matter how great a teacher, singer, leader, whatever it is you've been. It doesn't matter how much experience you have you cannot be useful in God's service with known sin in your life. You just cannot. Song of Solomon tries to tell us that it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. It's the little sins that we don't deal with that ruin a loving relationship with God. And you'll always be running, even from the little battles, guys, in your life. Those AIs always running away from them, always suffering defeat, never seeming to get the victory. Now, when I said it's not time to pray, it would be time to get with God for sure and confess what's going on in my life. That young man I told you about at the beginning of the story, the bus ran over him, a little pinhole in his intestine. It took him submitting himself to the doctor to allow him to go under the right kind of equipment to allow them to find where the infection was where that young man finally got victory in his life and he's living a good, strong, healthy life now. Until you're willing to submit yourself to that all-seeing eye of God and say, God, look, here's, here's what's happened. Here's where I've gone astray. I know that. Can you look into my life, God? I, I need that healing balm. I need your forgiveness and cleansing in my life. I want to come back. I want to come back all the way. I'm tired of having this septic life that's never able to get beyond where I've always, always been. And I would ask you tonight, if there's someone here tonight, some mom or dad who, who knows tonight you've been playing around with this little sin in your life, thinking there's no problem with that, it's not going to have an effect on really even so much me or my own family, you're sadly mistaken tonight. Would you be willing to make it right with God tonight? Some mother here tonight who's living some secret sin in your heart and you know that. It's undermining the blessing of God in your life. Some teenager, some little boy or girl here tonight that knows in your heart you've been living a double life 
And while you come to church, you try to make everybody else think you're just this kind of person, and yet in the depths of your heart, you know what God is seeing tonight. And I would challenge us here this evening, God help us, if God would show us what happened to Israel by one man's life, how it could destroy 36 families and rip their families apart, and one entire nation suffer defeat. And if God shows us that here tonight, surely we'd be willing to do a little self-examination between us and God tonight and get my heart right with the Lord tonight that the blessings of God could fall upon me once again. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.